We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. And we've been getting more and more news about the NBA coming back. They're still debating what it's going to look like. But in the process of that, they've got a lot to consider, right? They've got to consider the safety of the players, both in terms of COVID and just getting back up to speed. So today we've got a guest uh, with us to to help us uh, talk through that. It's his first time on the show. You guys know him on Twitter, at uh, 3 c Performance. He's uh, uh, got a physio background. He's got a couple of clinics in the LA area, sports science background as well. It's uh, Dr. Rajpal Brar. How you doing, Dr. Brar? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are y'all doing? Doing well, man. Thank you for for joining us. So yeah, first let's let's get into the the coronavirus components of this. Right now, there's no way to know exactly what they are going to do, but I think we can discuss a little bit of. What are the factors that the NBA and the Players Association and everybody involved, what are the factors, Dr. Bra, that they need to be considering and maybe some of the protocols that may be considered to make this as safe as possible? I think the biggest thing, and so just one thing for clarity, is that a lot of this is, and this would be an epidemiologist and expertise, but I've spoken to, I have a good friend as an epidemiologist, so I kind of know the phases and I follow it pretty well. And so I just want to get that out there because being within scope is always important in the medical world. So by no means am I an epidemiologist in the field, right? And so, but mm-hmm. that being said, the key thing when it comes to with COVID-19, it's going to be looking at how getting players together in the phases, how that affects if the players are actually getting the virus. So it's the same thing as in California, right? When, when you're reopening the stages and you're allowing people to mix together, you're going to mm-hmm. see an increase mm-hmm. naturally in some of these rates of infection. And so when it comes to the NBA, similarly, 
you want to see if you can really reduce that rate of infection via a very strict reopening. And a model we can actually use right now is looking at some of the, the European soccer leagues that are going through this thing, and they're a couple of weeks ahead. So, for example, at the English Premier League, they've done two rounds of testing. They have players already practicing together. The first round, they had three positive tests. The second round, they had two positive tests of over 1,000 players. And so the key is always constantly testing. And then as you, as you see that the rates aren't going up, you then allow players and teams to do a little more when it comes to close contact. So it's all about phases. So what sort of timeline then would you, from, from looking at, at, at all of this and, your, and the way that you're describing this makes it sound like there should be this gradual ramp up to even getting to the point where these guys would be practicing full time together and then much less getting on the court together to play an actual organized basketball game, right? And so what would, what would a timeline and protocol look like kind of hand in hand to get to the point from your perspective where this could actually be viable? So my guess is that the first thing that they do is a mandatory 14-day quarantine after this period where they're allowing teams come back to facilities. That's the first thing. And the key thing is you want to first test, you do a 14-day period, then you retest, and you see how the rates differ. And then if it checks out, you do another 14-day period because we know the general period when it comes to COVID-19 and comes to the course of it is about two weeks. So that then it made sense to do interval testing at two weeks to see how the increased contact and the increased reopening, for lack of a better word, is in, uh, affecting those rates, right? So my guess is it's going to be a 14-day period initially where either the team is in their city or they're on campus, but they're quarantined within the people they've been around. And then you allow them to reopen to other to the next phase, which might be more five-on-five practices or, or whatever it would be, right? So it's just a phased reopening in that sense. This brings up an interesting dynamic from uh, a competitive standpoint of, you know, what happens if somebody tests positive, right? Like, are they're, they're probably quarantined for two weeks, right? That's about how long a playoff series is, right? If somebody, you know, tests at the beginning of uh, of game one, if it's a seven game series, they may be out for the series, right? So there's there's all sorts of dynamics uh, in, involved there. But from the, from a keeping things safe, safe standpoint, what uh, what are some of the options available for if if somebody does, uh, because players will, I don't know if there's any examples in, in the English Premier League that we can follow, but when a player does test positive, kind of how do you go from there? So what you do is if a player tests positive, you do the same thing that some of these kind of countries that have treated this really well have done. You test and trace. So you want to see what players they were in contact with what family they were in contact with, and then you test them, right? So you can trace back, especially when you have a smaller ecosystem, like with mm-hmm. NBA players, you can actually figure it out better. So the, the, the way I think about it is that the NBA is almost treating this restart like South Korea or New Zealand did in the first place, which is really getting out in front and understanding if someone has it, you have to then figure out who else might have it and then confirm or deny that based on testing. This is also interesting to me, right? Because there's this idea of of contact tracing and and quarantining folks. So the example that Pete brought brought up about a player um, testing positive, potentially, I think maybe even just going back two weeks ago or three weeks ago or a month ago, the idea would, would be like, that would be the end game, right? Like someone tested positive, that whole team is out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and this idea that, that one positive test will shut everything down, which is basically what happened with Rudy Gobert, the way that this all started. started. Are there things that we've learned from, uh, from two months ago that make it where maybe they're viewing this as more appropriate risk or there's less risk than what they would have thought before. And and 
and where potentially a positive test wouldn't shut this entire operation down again. I think the biggest thing we've learned in the last, I don't know, however long it's been since it all started, is that we understand the key transmission factors. Of course, there's still a lot to learn. But for example, some research came out that 90% of transmissions occur in close, crowded contact rooms like restaurants and churches. And then the other 10% happen through whether it's through touching something. So the majority of transmission comes through this close contact. Whereas before it was like, okay, we're not exactly sure. We think we know, but we're mm-hmm. not sure how it happened. So now if you understand the 90% aspect, you can then manage some of the risk and understand that one person having it doesn't mean that, hey, it's going to explode into this huge chain of events. And we also know, I think, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's generally, I think it's been, for one person infected, it spreads to, I think, three other people. So I think that's been more definitively answered in that regard. So we understand that, yeah, it's definitely contagious, but it's not super, you know, you, you can you can manage the risk and you understand it a little bit better. Let's move on then to the, the physical components of doing this beyond the virus. And thank you for giving your insight. I know that's outside of your scope, but I also know uh, from our private conversations, the amount of research you do into this. So thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, but more, more in your wheelhouse is the, you know, getting the human body up to speed. This is really a unique circumstance just from a timeline standpoint of Darius and I will talk about this in the second segment, but However this works out, they're going to go from not playing a competitive basketball game for four months to playing playoff basketball soon thereafter. What are some of the challenges and, I guess, biggest concerns and risks that are involved in this really accelerated timeline? Yeah, so so generally, the biggest time period for increased injury risk is when you have these ramp-up periods, too much too soon. I could say on anecdotally, like in my clinic, 90% of people is from doing too much too soon. But even in general, the research shows professional athletes, when they ramp up, even from preseason games to regular season games in a completely normal season, you see an increase in injuries just from that increase. And that's with players training over the summer or hopefully training over the summer. And now you have a situation where you have an extended delay, then you have a shortened ramp up period, right? So it's all these factors that are increasing potential injury risk. Now, specifically, what you're looking at is soft tissue, meaning muscles, ligaments, tendons, bones. That's the biggest risk for players in, in this regard. And when it comes to individual players, like let's say in the Lakers, like there's videos of LeBron. He has a home gym compared to Quinn Cook, who's doing like mini sprints in his apartment. Who's going to be more <laughs> in shape, right? Just so right. from that standpoint, you have now more variability across each player because they now have access to different equipment now even lebron doesn't have access to the full equipment so it's really just been about mitigating how much fitness you've lost during quarantine period and so you know you're playing you're gonna play catch up the entire time essentially and hopefully we'll see what some of the the time frames that come out you know but if the rumors are late july you might have teams they might get six weeks of a ramp up period which although not ideal considering how much time they had off. It, it's more than I thought they might initially have. How long do you think they would need? So need to get back to where they were before? Yeah. Yeah, let's say this, let's say they had all the time in the world in an ideal circumstance. How long would they need to, to get back into that same spot? Man, considering they were just getting into ramp-up mode, like for the playoffs, I would say like, Ooh, two and a half, three months. And oh, it's, man. And it's not just physically. It's the mental part of it, too. Mm-hmm. Like, we, what we forget about quarantine, it disrupts all your lifestyle habits, your sleep, your rhythm as a player when it comes to travel, your nutrition. All these different aspects are affected. So I remember a quote by LeBron when after it all happened. He was like, man, like, I was just getting into this phase of really starting to, you know, I was – my." He has a plan for everything. This is crazy about LeBron. He has a plan for every single day, you know, month of the whole th- of the whole season. So he was really preparing his body to ramp up. And so it's really difficult to go from that ramping up now down to like whatever you want to call it. But now hit the off switch and now back to the on switch. No, speaking about LeBron's quote, like that was what I was going to bring will bring up to you as well is like he had said something along the lines of, you know, 
when all this started and we had to basically stop cold well cold turkey his body was was basically telling him like like what the f are you doing basically right be be because he went from that sort of just like you said that that slow build and and then come wrapping around the all-star break to then really starting to get into playoff preparation mode and then the season just went away entirely and when Pete asked his his question about how long would would it take to get back I'm not even sure how you can actually get back to where they were right the like the Lakers had played what 64 NBA games and, and there's no replicating the rhythm that you would be in like three quarters of the way through the season. It, like, in my opinion, I'm not a professional athlete. I've never played in the NBA, but I think that there's a certain sense of physical condition and mental readiness that you could get to, but not necessarily the reps and the feel and, and, and all of the stuff that comes from playing for basically what from mid from mid-October through the first part of March, like that's months and months and months of, of of everyday reps and building your body and that muscle memory that that comes with that. And I don't know how you recapture that even in an eight-week or even a three-month process. Am 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 I off base with that, or or is it because these guys are professional athletes that they'll it's like riding a bike for them? No, I completely agree with you. I would say that estimate was more me rounding up there's no way to replicate that aspect and so i completely agree with that and the key is just going to be figuring out the best way how to find yourself back into that mode i don't know how they're going to do it but it's just something I, I i think part of it following this lakers team and how close they've been throughout the quarantine is going to help them a lot just because they still feel like they've still been in that team mode so it may give them an advantage in that regard. But in terms of ever getting back to that plane, having played 64 games, even going back, the planning for the season starts in July for a lot of these guys, or even before that, if you're LeBron. So you're not talking about October. You're talking about the plans now for however long have been completely thrown out of the loop. So will you ever get back to that point this season? Probably not. But... I think you might be able to get close just based on the fact that these guys do tend to have a different different mindset because they're at that professional level. And they do have access to really, really good professionals who can help them get there as well. I want to get back to the point that you made, which is something that I didn't even consider about like the different levels of conditioning that each of the guys might have based off of their own access to like equipment and things like that do you imagine that the these these teams then are going to need to come out come up with even more specific and individualized workouts based off of not only like body type and, and skills and and the types of different types of exercises you might be doing with like a guy like Dwight Howard versus a Quinn Cook, but also based off of like where where their individual bodies are at right now and the very specific injury risks that each guy might like might be facing based off of what they've been able to do to this point during this time off. So my best guess is that they'll have they have a baseline assessment for each player, kind of where they were before they went out. And then they'll reassess when they get back in. And then you can clearly see the differential, right? So all these guys have individualized programs throughout the season that does cater to their own needs and specific demands. And then, of course, you have baseline principles. So they'll come back in, you assess each player based on that, and then you go from there. And so the hardest part is just how do you get it back within the amount of time you're allotted for to get for the season to restart. So along those lines, Dr. Brar, uh, just one last thing. I'm asking you to speculate a little bit here, but the position of the the people that work for all of these teams that have to get these guys, their, their bodies back into the best condition possible, knowing that we can't get to where they would have been. What are some of the approaches that they can take? Like how, how do you make the most out of a pretty 
crappy situation and less than ideal situation for these guys' bodies to get in. I mean, it's what they're going to have to do, right? So considering the limitations and the circumstances, what are some of the like the most important things, the things they got to do first, the things they got to do best in order to kind of beat everybody else and make sure their guys stay healthy? I think the biggest thing is so there's there's when it comes to training, there's low handing fruit. So there's certain exercises that are that are that give you the most bang for the buck when it comes to let's like squatting, deadlifts, like lower body big compound lifts. So you really want to hammer those home to start. And then the specialized aspects might go to the background. Whereas typically during the season, you're just trying to you're just trying to maintain a certain level. Now it's trying to rebuild as much as you can with those compound exercises and then saving that specialized aspects maybe for afterwards for the for what will be the now the off season right so just it's trying to balance the timeline with what works the best within that specific frame because it's it's just so short and so the other and the other aspect for me is conditioning as well right and so it's not just lifting, it's conditioning. And that's what a lot of these guys have really been missing is the conditioning aspect. And so it's it's just, there's protocols in place trying to get the conditioning back. And the key is just balancing it all where you're looking, of course, you want to put in the work, but you also have to focus on recovery and understanding if you push too hard, it's going to naturally increase some of their injury risk and you might take two steps back. So it's like walking that fine needle and the key here, I think this is the key with any team and training staff, it's going to be communication between the players. Because you're going to have these guys who are saying, the natural athlete tendency is like, oh, you know, I'm fine, I'm fine. Especially now knowing you want to come mm-hmm. back, right? I'm good, I'm good. So mm-hmm. you really want trainers who understand the true indicators, right? Like, oh, you know, is this guy grimacing? He's telling me he's fine, but I'm seeing these differences, right? So you have to trust your objective indicators, especially in this regard where you know players are chomping at the bit to get back and play ball. One thing that interests me about all of this is Pete and I have talked about how the Lakers are well-positioned based off of their experience, as players, right? Like they have LeBron James and Danny Green and even to a certain extent Dwight Howard and and, and Rondo and, and all of these guys who were sort of veteran players, but veteran also equates to older, right? So you're talking about this ramp up in terms of physical activity. Do you think the Lakers are maybe at a disadvantage when it comes to like just the age and the minutes that some of their key players have have put into the league to to well to this point or or are they like no worse off than like your average team who has a bunch of guys in their late 20s or something so i would say specifically looking at guys like lebron rondo dwight guys who 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 put in the work consistently every day typically i would yeah i would say yes right but based on the specific characteristics of of our older players, and these are guys who understand that putting in the work and being disciplined is so important, I would say they'll be at the same level as mm. other players. I mean, if you if you just look at their maybe not Rondo's, but if you look at Dwight and LeBron's physical just capacity this season, they're beyond most players who are already five six years younger than them. Than them. In fact, with LeBron, I would honestly say this break gives him more of a margin between other players because he has such a reserve built in because he's been because he has such a margin for error with how incredible his training discipline is that he's not the guy who's going to stop training. He's going to continue with his plan. He'll modify and adapt. And he, if anyone can max out their training ability during this quarantine, it's LeBron. So I think that beta, that margin for him will actually increase. Well, Dr. Barr, thank you so much. This was uh, fantastic. Can you tell folks where they can they can find you? Yeah, sure. So uh, you can find me on social media, 3CB Performance, 3 Charlie Beta Performance. I have a YouTube channel that I also you know put player injuries, performance vid- uh, videos out as well. And like Pete said, I have a couple clinics in the area. And so uh, thanks for having me on. 
Absolutely, man. Thanks so much. All right, we're going to no, take that's a... that's great. Super informative. Very much so, yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break, and then Darius and I are going to talk about some of the basketball elements of uh, getting back to, to playing. There's no shortage of action going on on our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on Bet Online's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling The Final Dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, that's all one word, to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. All right, so beyond the physical components of getting back and, and uh, you know, putting procedures in place for COVID-19 and all of that, the league is discussing with the Players Association, getting all kind of bits and rumors about how they plan on coming back. There are ideas about going straight to the playoffs, going with 20 teams, which seems to be the most popular option, uh, where the 16 teams that are currently in the playoffs plus the four teams with the next best record uh, from there on out, which will all be in the Western Conference, if that were the the case, uh, doing some sort of play-in. There are all sorts of, you know, versions of that that can happen. There's a version where... There's no conferences, and it's just seeded 1 through 16. So Lakers would be playing the Nets in the first round as the 2 seed against the 15 seed if that were to happen. Uh, Kevin O'Connor had proposed a group play idea for uh, the beginning stages of this. Darius, uh, where do you stand on kind of the how the hell do we make this return to normalcy in these completely bizarre times? Man, I wish I had a good answer yeah. around this. I like I honestly do um there are so many to me like factors at play I do not think I'm for just going right into the playoffs Mm -hmm. um agreed even if they play quote-unquote like exhibition games or I just feel like you can't just say you guys haven't played any basketball at all and then the first games that are played are playoff games that like are the highest stakes, right? Like, to, to me, there's got to be some sort of middle ground there. Um, I do not think all 30 teams should be called called back. Like, I think it's a waste if you ask the Warriors to come and play or you ask the mm-hmm. Knicks or the Cavs to come and play in basketball games. Like, for what? Like, there is still a safety aspect that I think matters here. I do think 20 to 24 teams sounds about right. I'm not sure about fiddling around with all the format stuff, though. So I'd, I'd, I'd be very interested to hear where you stand on some of the more like, like, hey, let's seed these guys one through 16. Or sure. Let's have a round robin turn tournament to decide the last four playoff spots. Like, I, I think that that those could certainly drive a certain amount of fan interest. I worry, though, about adding too many variables to something that is already sort of wonky to a certain extent. Yeah, so you and I are simpatico on that. And this is more from a... I I have this opinion more from a steward of the game perspective, right? Like it trying to to care about the sport of basketball in the NBA rather than a Laker fan perspective. Because from a Laker fan perspective, like, hey, that bracket, 1 through 16, don't look too bad, right? Like, yeah, I mean, no. It could be, put the Bucks and the Clippers right, and them, all these other the teams. over there. Put, right. put them all over there. Let them have a bloodbath. And, and, yeah, sure, like, let's give us all the teams that um, the Lakers have beaten pretty much every single time that, that they've played. That. That sounds good to right. me. Thank Which you. is no disrespect to, to the other bracket, right? Toronto's a, a, a great team. Yes. I think Houston's a lot more dangerous than people give them credit for. Uh, it, I don't think it's a cakewalk, but I do think that it's a more favorable uh, path than a conventional one through eight. So all of that being said, though, from the perspective of trying to root for what's best for the game and for the best for the NBA, in my experience just in life, that when you have a certain amount of upheaval that 
a lot of times in life is out of your control, right? It's something, it's an external event like the coronavirus outbreak has been that it's best to keep the things that you do have that are solid and stable as solid and stable because they're foundational things to build off of, right? Now, Mm -hmm. there's... I make this argument more off of the law of unintended consequences than anything specific about, oh, this would be terrible. The one thing I would say specifically about like a 1 through 16 idea is that I think that, you know, during this time, one of the competitive advantages that you have is Frank Bogle and his staff and all of these coaches, like, we're going to find out who is really good at tape work, right? Because it ain't like you could be doing a whole lot else during yeah. this time. And so I think that that's something that, you know, if Frank Vogel should be watching more tape on the Clippers, right? And if all of a sudden the Clippers are not what he needs to, they don't have to get through them to get out of their conference or out of their bracket, there's some time wasted that I would have liked to know beforehand, right? But my argument is more so that when you make, the more changes that you make, the more things that happen that you're like, oh, I didn't realize that this was going to have that effect. So I think that keeping things stable, uh, you know, I, I'd love for us to not agree, and agree entirely on that, but that is where I, I come from on that. Do you have, are, are there any points of contention in that? No, but I think that my perspective is actually a little bit different, even though we may be arriving at mm. at the same same place. I think a lot of folks look at this as an opportunity, right? Oh, these are all things we would have loved to have tried before, but we didn't have an opportunity to do it, right? Like seeding one through 16 has been an idea that's been out there for years, mm-hmm. but there was really no way to to basically to whip the votes up mm-hmm. in order to make that sort of change because Eastern Conference playoff teams were never going to say yes. like, And like, they still might not. Yeah. yeah, Like there may only be four or five of our teams that, that make it. And those bottom three playoff teams or bottom two, two playoff teams are just like, you know, I, I actually think I'd like the gate revenue from mm. hosting a home playoff game or two. So yeah, we're not going to voluntarily say that you could seed one through six 16. And that's just one example, right? But I think that folks are looking at this as an opportunity, but to as sort of like a test balloon, like, mm-hmm. oh, let's try it out. But when everybody's in of- the same place, right? Like there's some argument for everybody's, there is no home games. There are no fans. There is no gate, no loss of playoff game. There also isn't crazy travel, right? And, right. and so you might have had us. I, I remember when they were talking about like one through 16 seeding, like last season or two seasons ago, they were talking about the potential for like a second round playoff series between like the Heat and the Trailblazers, mm-hmm. right? And, and that sort of just like, yeah, how about that's like the farthest two distances that you <laughs> <Right>. can fly <laughs> between NBA teams and yes. we're going to have them match up in the first or second round of the playoffs. Like, that right. doesn't do make go, sense. Do you go 2-3-2 two, two to limit travel? Yeah. Exactly. It, and, and now, yeah. so that's another variable that's out the window, right? Everyone's at the same place. There there are no travel hazards. There are no time zone shifts. There there, there are no all, all, all of these other variables. And, and it's so... Maybe it sounds counterintuitive then for me to argue that the, these, are, these are circumstances that will never be replicated. So I feel like using this as an opportunity or to like test of, to, to throw out a test balloon or it's not try to get data yes. on this, yes. that all of that is basically invalidated by the circumstances and the context of what the current reality is, right? And so you can't say like, oh, this, look how much more popular the, the like play in turn will, will turn them it was. Well, how do you separate the idea that that was pop popular versus everyone was just sports starved? Yeah, we're pandemic, dying to watch this. Right, yes. and now the NBA is back after a four month hiatus. Like, right. like, like to me, there's so much messiness within trying to figure out what what these new ideas would actually mean that I'm not sure if trying them for one year even makes that much sense. Right. And to me, if they're going to do it, do it next year, right? Next year is going to be weird, too. That's something that we don't really talk about or think about very much. But that season ain't starting until December at the earliest. And it's going to be... a, a a strange year, but it will also not have those 
those factors that yeah you can't replace like yeah let's say it goes well and they're all at a neutral site well they're not going to be all at a neutral site ever again knock on wood right so the travel if you are going to go one through 16 it is going to have to deal with that yeah maybe miami has to and portland have to play and they've got to deal with the travel of that you're going to have to sort that out in order for it to be sustainable on any level now the so then it comes down to you know what what does it need to look like i'm so one of my concerns about a play-in tournament for those lower seeds is what are we going to have you know let's say three of the six teams make it or however four of it however they want to do it but those teams are going to have played five six seven competitive basketball games mm-hmm. while they go up against a team that hasn't played a competitive game in four months to start the playoffs like do the lakers get any play-in games? Do they get games where they get to ramp things up? How does that impact the the risk factors that we were talking about with Dr. Brar at the beginning, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you don't want the Golden State Warriors there and the Knicks there and all that because, like, yeah, it's more bodies, it's more chances to spread this thing. So I, I get all of that. But you also, from the other end, have to account for the competitive aspect where, for one, you need everybody to be going into the playoffs with a comparable level of ramp up for mm-hmm. one. And on the second end, let's not act like we didn't play most of this season already. We were 65 games into this. So a team some like teams the, were almost at 70, man. Like right. some teams that played like 67 or 68 games. Like there, there were teams who were basically the season was almost over. Right. Them. So there should be in the, the seating in the play in like a team like Memphis that has a game and a half advantage over the next closest team, if not more. I think they had a, a bigger lead than that. They that should be reflected in how easy it is for them to make the playoffs. Let's not just even it out and be like, oh, well, you know, too bad. You had a three-game lead on this team, right? But yeah. it, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, so, so how, do you, how do you balance out those competitive aspects? Yeah, so it's, so it's interesting, B, because, you, you know, like ideas of play in turn tournaments and, and stuff like that have, have been around for years, right? Because, like, and it's had to do a lot with like lottery reform and and how do you combat against tanking, right? So there have always been these sort of ideas about how to make games as you approach the end of the regular season more important, right? Mm-hmm. Be, be, because so many teams were using those as like throwaway games and opportunities to tank and improve their 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 draft position now they tried to address that with lottery reform but that's not going to fix everything um so if there was going to be a play in turn tournament i would want to give those teams that have earned a seeding advantage um that type of, of boost that that you would discuss so 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 maybe like you remember the old like uh like three, like like three to make two rule. Uh huh. <laughs> yes. It was, like for uh, like free throws for college basketball, it, and it, it might have even been the pros. It, it, it like, wasn't the pros for like three, four years. Yeah. So you could use that same idea for a playoff series between some of the higher seeds versus these lower seeds, right? And you may have to have. So let's say you do bring twenty teams, and um. You and you put the last two playoff spots available, or in each conference, so four playoff seeds total, total, total on the table for a play and turn tournament between those final eight teams that that come in, right? Maybe mm-hmm. you then say, like, you those the seventh seed in each conference get a bye and then there's going to be this idea where like the the way lowest seed has has to win twice and like the eighth seed the current eighth seed only has to win once right right right. like things like that where where you skew it heavily in the favor of the team who's who has frankly earned the right very much to have an advantage Absolutely. That's Um, it. They've actually, and I, so the interesting thing though is that a lot of times buys are what's done in sports and different competition uh, brackets as a way of doing that. I'm not sure buys quite have the same 
benefit that they do normally in that buys are partially for rest, right? You get the advantage of a little mm. additional rest. Rest is not necessarily a good thing right now. Like them playing games is going to be important. That's that's why it, if you know if I ruled the NBA, I would love for the teams that are that do have some sort of competitive stake in this. So we shrink the league to 20 teams. I agree. Those are the teams that could make the playoffs. And then let's have everybody play 10 games, man. What What's the hurry on this to avoid the NFL? It, I don't think that's a good enough reason, right? I don't think that wanting to avoid the NFL on the weekends of the finals or whatever that's going to be is a good enough reason to accelerate this, right? People are going to watch the games. The TV people are going to be happy. Now, there's, it comes down to the, I'm, I'm ignorant on the amount of exposure that these guys have to the virus, right? Like, is that something that is playing five games, a big difference from playing 10 games? I, I don't know. But strictly from a competitive, let's get this and make this fair from a basketball standpoint, I think, especially with what Dr. Brar was saying in the first segment and all of that, like, there's no way to recapture or to get to where they were. We just mm. got to do our best with what we have. Like, man, give them eight games, give them ten games, give them, give them ten games and uh, tilt the standings, right, to reflect that. If we get ten more games, that puts everybody in that 75 to 78 that's almost a full season. TV, uh, you know, regional sports networks get to televise and make more revenue off of that. I think there are a lot of winners in that scenario that I don't, I don't think it has to be particularly convoluted. Just play a decent amount of regular season games to wrap this up amongst the teams that still have a stake. And if you've got a mixed East and West, you got to kind of come up with your own schedule to yeah. make this happen. Uh, it, it's to get teams warmed up and ready for for action for this while giving those teams that want to play in the opportunity to do so. How would you feel about saying we want to get everyone rather than saying we're going to play 10 games in this environment that we want to give everyone an opportunity to get to 72 games played total. That's fine. Or, I, I or think some that's... like some roundish number. Sure. Right. Like the Lakers would then have nine games, but a team like, I don't know. The the like would there be a weird advantage if like a team like the Lakers who have played who maybe have played sixty four games I don't even know the Lakers record right now like off the right. top of my head uh, that, I think it's like, forty nine and fourteen yeah so they played right. sixty three games yeah so if they have so let's say that and let's say the Bucks have already played sixty six games and they only need six games to get there is that a would that be too weird? Like, do you want to make it so that every team gets the same number of games I, before the playoffs start? Yes, I, I want that rather than the same number of games overall for the season because it's going to be long enough. It's going to be longer than a regular off season. So I think it's more important for everybody to play the same number of games from when they start. So everybody gets 10 games. And if that means one team plays 75 games on the season, the other one plays 77, who cares, right? But everybody gets the equal amount of ramp up to, by the time they get to the playoffs, we're not like, like Dr. Brush said in the first segment, not, not at that full where we could be, but we're as close as we can get reasonably for this. So do you, do you agree with that? Or do you want everybody at that same number? No, I think that having 10, like, I think everyone playing the same round number of games makes sense. Where where things start to get trick tricky for me is if you're not bringing the same number of teams from each conference, then what is the benefit for, like, the fourth team from the West that's out of the playoffs? Who comes, right? Mm -hmm. and, and this idea that they've got to jump four teams to get to the eighth seed or are you going to then combine that with like seeding one through 16 or I was listening to Zach Lowe's podcast and he had mentioned that the bottom that a team like like let's say the Pelicans end up being the 10th seed right but they have a better record than the Magic mm -hmm. then like the Pelicans would then get slotted into like Eastern Conference, right? Mm -hmm. In order to be part of their play, like that half of the bracket while keeping East and West mm -hmm. still separate, mm -hmm. right? So the, 
I think there's wow. a bunch of ideas because one of the arguments that Zach made was like we just came off the last dance, right? And we just saw how much rivalries matter. And this idea of playing the teams that are in your conference that are sort of historical rivals or recent rivals, like that also adds drama and intrigue and this idea of of keeping that tradition that you had sort of spoken about earlier, that that, that keeps that alive rather than just this hodgepodge of, oh, guess what? We get Lakers nets. Right. Like like Mm -hmm. like in the first round that that like that doesn't mean nearly as much as if the Lakers played the Pelicans. Of course. Right. Right. So so there's so there's a bunch of stuff like well like that. So how far would you take this? Like, are there ways to manipulate things still on the back end where you get higher quality teams into the mix while still keeping a certain amount of that tradition alive? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I do like... So I, I want it to be... I suppose my guiding principle in this is it being fair for the competitors, right? The one thing that... So so that idea from, from Lowe's podcast about, say, the Pelicans earn their place in, and but you slot them into the East because they're the ninth team, right? Or whatever, mm-hmm. just to even things out... Um, I don't love the idea of for the Pelicans and for the Eastern Conference teams of this kind of like one team you've only played twice. Well, it's it's like it's a different circumstance than everybody else. The Eastern Conference teams certainly haven't been watching tape on the Pelicans. Alvin Gentry probably hasn't been watching much, you know, uh, Toronto Raptors tape. <laughs> you know what sure. I mean? Uh, so. I, it's probably the, not as fair to the Bucks either, right? Like, sure. say, like, the, like if you're the Bucks and you're the num- number one seed, and you go from playing oh, yeah. Orlando to now to freaking playing, Zion, like, oh, right? Yeah. Zion and Brandon Ingram and all <laughs> right, these guys, right? right? Yeah. Like, that's a different. That's that's a much different scenario, right? And, and so the the guiding principle of of fairness to me, we've played enough of the regular season where I feel okay being fairly rigid on the like what you have to do to play in. And all of that, like we played 65 games, man. The 99 season was 50 games long. The 2011 season, I believe it was, or 2011-12, which year was that? I think it was, yeah, in 2011, it was Kyrie's rookie year. So the 11-12 season, uh, they played, you know, they, they had a shortened season then too. I believe that was 66 games. So like we've played most of a season and I, I'm fine with keeping things. And just in the, the general respect of wanting to have fewer moving parts and what I said at the beginning of just in my experience in life is that when you've got weird things happening try to keep the things that you can keep stable stable I think that just all of that to me points to a straight ahead conventional or as close as you can to that with with the playoffs I I think I'm in the minority on that and I don't think that that's what's going to happen but that's what I would like to see no it's very interesting and you asked me at the beginning, like, oh, what would you want to see? And, and honestly, I'm like, I wish I had a good answer with this. Like, like honestly, I feel like you could probably sell me on any number sure. of scenarios. Sure. And, and, and in the end, I would be fine. It, like, if basketball actually does come back and, and this is a real thing, then, I, I mean, I'm going to be smiling regardless. Absolutely, like, man. Like, I, there's I, NBA basketball. And, and, hell yeah, man. And, you know, they could play on a freaking cruise ship for all yeah. I care. Like, <laughs> like, like, like sure. let's make this half happen. Like, oh, you know, Anthony Davis just shot an air ball. Oh, well, you can't really blame it. You know, there was a big gust of wind. Right, that yeah. Came and from... it got a new game ball because it's in the ocean. Yeah. That's right. But in the end, 16 teams, 20 teams, straight to the playoffs, you know, play in turn, tournament group play these are all great and fun fun ideas i i guess more as a traditionalist i would skew more towards where you're at but in the end whatever we get i'm gonna be happy with it i'm pretty sure and i love that the nba is really listening to different arguments there's supposed to be like three main proposals that are proposed fairly soon that for everybody to debate debate on they don't need to make a decision right now uh but it is fun to talk about the different paths that they can take so um all right yeah we will continue to keep you updated and discuss the different elements of these uh this really you know 
extraordinary circumstance. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back. Didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen! Brian, yes, and that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.